0: A very good morning to you. I'd like to grab your seats, grab your coffee. donut. No, no. it's getting more and more crowded up here. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. We, uh, we serve and lead this amazing church here, Southwestern Island Vineyard. We're in Lent. As you probably know, and we started a series uh, from 1 Corinthians last week, uh, turning as we turn our eyes and turn our attention towards easter thank you very much last week we looked at the cross and this week we are going to look at the gospel so if you've got a bible turn with me to 1 corinthians chapter 15 Um, but before we do that um, what is the gospel what is the gospel why don't you um, turn to somebody nearby Introduce yourself, say hello if you haven't already. And you've got like a couple of minutes, and then I'll be picking on people at random. <laughs> I might. What is the gospel? When your marks, get set, go. Okay. Does anyone, does anyone feel brave enough to kind of uh, holler out a, a thought? This is where I'll die a little bit. You don't have to if you don't want to. But anyone feeling like they've nailed it? Yeah, okay, I that might happen. All right. <laughs> Let's have a look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse uh, 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want, to, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which is code for died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. We're not going there this morning. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Now, uh, while those of us have been around uh, for a while, we we may think that we know, this is a word we bandy around all the time, the gospel, we may think that we know what the gospel is. Here's Paul writing to the church, and he's wanting to remind them again of what the gospel is. We've got to remember, as we said last week, that he's writing to the church here in Corinth, and what he's wanting to do um, throughout this whole letter, he's wanting to remind us that the gospel is for everyone, and that includes those of us in the church Who have heard it many, many, many times and think maybe that we know exactly what it is. How easy was it for you to articulate what's the gospel when you were just chatting to people? How simple was that? How straightforward was that? Which is why Paul is wanting to remind us. He's reminding us all to um, sit up and to pay attention because this gospel, this gospel matters. And we do need to be constantly reminded. We need to be reminded of how absolutely stunning the gospel is. Uh, it's very, very easy. We forget so quickly and it's very easy for us to lose sight of God's goodness and his mercy and his grace. And most of all, his incredible, incredibly great love. And so what Paul's doing is he's going on to remind the church in Corinth of this fundamental um aspects of the gospel the fundamental he reminds me of the fundamental basics of the gospel and he says this in verse three for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that on uh, the third day he was raised again according to the scriptures and then he appeared to Cephas, and to the 12 and on and on and on and on And what he's doing here, remember there's no uh, internet, there's no technology around, just in case you weren't aware. Um, But this is just within literally a few years of Jesus dying and being raised. And Paul is already, this is like 20 years in or something, Paul is already reminding and underlining this gospel of first importance. And he kicks it all off by saying, when I was with you, this was the message this is the message, Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day. And you see how he goes on and he says, he says according to what, according to what, what does he say? He says, he says it twice in verses 3 and 4. He says, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. According to the story of God. And again, we've got to remember this is the early 50s, just a few years after Jesus has risen from the grave. Uh, there is no New Testament as we would recognize it, as we know it. It's, it's in the process of being written. So when, as we said, this, we said this last week, when Paul is referring to the scriptures here, he is talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. So according to Paul, the story of God, this gospel is embedded in the first half of what we now call the Bible. You know, when we often, when we think of the gospel, you know, so often and rightly so, we think of, immediately we think of the cross and the resurrection, and that's absolutely right. But we also need to... um, Take a step back and broaden our horizons and our mindset to all that God has been doing since the beginning of time. Because the gospel, uh, the gospel is everything. The gospel is everything. Everything reaches its climax in Jesus. But what Paul is trying to do here and in his other writings is to help us understand the gospel in all its incredible fullness. Uh, Now, we keep saying gospel, maybe it would be helpful to have a bit of a working definition of what we mean by the gospel. if we're wanting a biblical understanding of gospel, uh, the gospel is, is a message of God's saving work through Jesus Christ the Messiah. The gospel is, is, is the message of God's saving work through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The gospel is a message. It's a, it's a story. And um, we need to remember that it's not just kind of like four steps, you know, an A, B, C, D of how to get right with God. It's, it's a story. It's, um, it, it's, a, it's a love story. And it's, it's one that we, we need to remember. It's a story to be shared. It's a story to be told. It's a story that everybody wants to hear. And as we looked at last week, all of us believe in some kind of storyline. We all believe in some kind of meta-narrative, some kind of um, worldview. And in the Christian message, what we're doing, we're offering to the world what we believe God has revealed to us about how and why the world exists. The gospel um, is about everything. The gospel actually Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Um, some theologians, they, they think about the gospel in five stages, sort of like five acts uh, to a play. Because when we think of the gospel, it's really the story of, um, first of all, creation, And then very rapidly, the fall. Uh, And then it's the story of God working in and through the nation of Israel. Then it's God working through uh, the life and the ministry and the work of Jesus. And then lastly, it's all about the new creation, which takes us right through to the book of Revelation. And and all the stuff that's going to be happening 10,000 years from now. And the gospel, and we're just going to whiz through some of that narrative, the gospel starts with creation in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, with God creating the world and God creating people. Genesis 1:27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. And the gospel begins... With the fact that God created. God made men and women. And he said this is good. And he blesses them. And so the beginning of the Christian message. The beginning of the gospel. Is that God has made us all. He made you. He made me. And because he made us. He knows us. And he loves us. And so the beginning of the gospel narrative. Is rooted in God's love. And there in the garden. Adam and Eve experienced what in Hebrew is called um, shalom. There was peace in the garden. There was peace. There was peace with God, peace with one another, exactly as God had always intended. That was his design. That was his plan. That was his hope. But as you know, things go south very quickly, and three pages in, literally to the whole of the Bible, uh, we have what's called the fall. Uh, An enemy comes along and says to Adam and Eve, you know, did God really say? Did God really say this? And in in that moment, instead of trusting and believing in the love of God, Adam and Eve choose to believe the lies of the enemy. And what happens is through their choice, um, through their sin, their eyes are opened, and all of a sudden they realise that they're naked. They realise that they're exposed. They realise that they're vulnerable, and so to cover their shame that they now feel, uh, they they want to hide themselves, and so they immediately get you know knitting and sewing and uh, stitch together some fig leaves. And uh, sin has now entered the story, and it's opened. Their eyes, and, and that's kind of bizarrely what happens when we sin. Uh, when we miss God's best for us, we start to see things differently, and we start to see things that we'd never seen or wanted to experience before. God had never intended us to experience before things like shame, and we feel exposed. And so, we, f- we feel the need to run and to hide, and we feel the need to run and hide from God, uh, from ourselves, and from one another. And in the garden at this point, you know, the clothing industry is born and uh, Adam and Eve, um, they, they're walking in the garden and they, they hear the sound of the Lord God in this moment. They've been, you know, hiding off in the bushes, pulling down, you know, leaves and stitching things together and they hear the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Such is the most devastating, one of the most devastating verses in the whole of scripture. That such is God's desire for intimacy with us, that he walks with us. He wants to walk with us. That's the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us. And what do they do? Uh, They do what we all do. They run and hide. And God calls out to them. He says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? They're like running away. God is calling out to them saying, Where are you? And Genesis 3 reminds us right from the very beginning that God is calling out to every single one of us. Where are you? Where are you? What's happened? What's happened? Remember that the heart of the gospel, again, we touched on this last week, the heart of the gospel isn't that we find God. The heart of the gospel is that God has been looking and looking and looking for every single one of us, seeking us out, searching us out, like the prodigal father looking for his sons and daughters to come home so that he can rush towards them and throw his arms around us. What does God do right there in Genesis uh, chapter 3? God makes a plan to make things right. God is wanting to restore us to the garden. He wants us to live in peace. He He wants things to be put right. The trouble is, is our kind of pride and our arrogance and our sin... Got in the way then, and it still gets in the way now. And so we find ourselves, on the one hand, called and created uh, for this in, in incredible relationship with God, made for the peace and the shalom of the kingdom, but all of it is marred and spoiled and ruined by our sin. And so now, having effectively taken themselves out of the garden, life becomes really, really hard. And the rest of the story of the Old Testament becomes the story actually of Israel. And this, the story of Israel is God seeking out a people who will live in intimate relationship with him and model to the earth what it looks like to live in relationship with God. And the highlight, kind of the key verse of this is in Genesis 12. God speaks, we've done this, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. God uh, speaks to a chap called Abraham and he says, you know, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you and this is really important because in this third chapter um, the gospel story this of the gospel story it's, it's about Israel but um, unlike Adam and Eve Abraham he trusts God even though Abraham's got no kids he's, uh, his wife Sarah is barren Abraham chooses to trust God and believe in him and as he does so God is faithful to his promise. And so as you know the story, uh, there's Isaac and there's Jacob and Jacob becomes Israel. God keeps his promise to this nation who are called to live in relationship with God and are called to be a blessing and to demonstrate to the entire earth what it looks like to be in relationship with God and to know God. Um, And the plan was that they were supposed to be embodying, embodying the kingdom. The rule and reign of the king of kings and that they were supposed to be living um, a living example of this peace and shalom and the narrative of the scriptures is that Israel is supposed to be a light they're supposed to be a representative a a picture of what it means to really know God and to walk with God and to learn uh, from God and to live with God and everything that God does is to help them step into the fullness of that inheritance. And so uh, when they're struggling, he gives them 10 commandments to help them so that they can step into the fullness of all that God has called them into. But of course, they don't follow them. So when they get into the land that God has promised them, God gives them judges um, to kind of lead them and guide them. But if you read Uh, judges you quickly see that that didn't go very well and things go very quickly from bad uh, to worse and then the people say look um, what we need is a king like if we had a king it would all be okay and then we'd like love and serve God and everything would be all right and uh, a king will fix it a king will make everything all right between us and God and God reluctantly says okay uh, it's not going to work by the way but here you go here's a king and King Saul's a flop Uh, King David is good but um, even he fails, and, and literally every king after David is is basically a, a disaster. Uh, God gives them priests and prophets to help them live out this relationship with God, but the people disrespect the prophets, uh, the, 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 the sacrifices and the, the priests, uh, and they, they don't listen to the prophets at all. And by the end of it all, or as we're reading through the Old Testament, it's not difficult to see that we realize that Israel as a country is in like a much, much worse state than it was when it started. And through it all, the thing that we see is that God has remained faithful to his promise, but the people just can't seem to be faithful to their end of the bargain, which is basically the story of our lives. God is always faithful. God always keeps his promises, but we, well, let's just say kind of less so. And so God gives sacrifices to deal with the sin and he gives uh, rules that they might follow and he gives judges and kings and all of it but none of it is really bringing the closeness and the intimacy of the relationship that God is wanting because at the heart of it, God just wants his dwelling place to be with his people. Um, He just wants to walk with his people in the garden in the cool of the day. And that's why um, throughout the story, Jesus makes so much sense. See, what Israel as a nation is looking for, they're looking to be in right relationship with God. They just don't know how to get there. They don't know how to do it. God's heart, God's desire is for intimacy and relationship with us all. Um, and that we would live our lives in a way that reflects his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love. That we would end up living lives that are in the, walking in the fullness of the police, peace, the peace, the peace and the shalom of the kingdom of God. And... We have to remember that Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. And not just in relationship with God, but a representation of what it looks like to be in relationship with God. But as we know when we read the Old Testament, particularly when we read all of those really challenging passages, it's pretty clear that the thing that God was wanting to happen wasn't happening. It wasn't working out. Okay, so fast forward to Jesus. Now, Jesus, we've got to remember, was promised way back in Genesis chapter 3. And the whole of the Old Testament is littered with signposts and uh, prophecies and words referring and pointing to his calling and so uh, and he's coming and this is one of the reasons that you know while we may struggle with the old testament we have to keep pushing on and pushing in and pushing through it because it's the book about the coming of jesus and so we uh, ignore it at our peril and the old testament is full of these incredibly detailed pictures of what Jesus was going to be like what he was going to come and do and eventually Jesus appears Jesus comes uh, he's born into some backwater of the Roman Empire Uh, Isaiah 53 says he has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain like one from whom people hide their faces he was despised and we held him in low esteem. That was written 800 years before Jesus. Okay. And the people then, when Jesus uh, comes in onto the scene, um, just like many of us today, they just don't get him. They, they, they just don't get it. Um, as we touched on last week, Jesus just wasn't what people expected of a Messiah. And for a lot of us today, Jesus still isn't quite what we expect of a Messiah. Um, But we need to remember that Jesus is the climax of the story. And what Paul and the early preachers of the gospel are doing is what they're trying to do is to connect all of the dots of the whole arc of the narrative. And they do it in a much better way than we often do. Because what they're saying is that everything from um, right from the beginning of creation, all of history... Right till this point, it's all been pointing to Jesus. It's all been leading to Jesus. It's all fulfilled in and through the person of Jesus. He is the center. He is the climax. He is the epitome of God's story. And not only that, but this Jesus who died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried, was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And the resurrection, we're going to talk about the resurrection over the next couple of weeks, uh, but the resurrection matters. The resurrection matters a whole bunch because what it means is that because of the resurrection, because Jesus is alive and not dead, the life that Jesus has, that life is now given to us. We get to live resurrection life right now. That resurrected life of Christ becomes our life, And that's why Paul is banging on about the gospel to the church. He's like trying to drive and drill it home. You read through the whole of 1 Corinthians. Um, why is Paul getting hot and bothered about them taking each other to court? Uh, why is he challenging them? Read 1 Corinthians. Why is he challenging them and confronting them about their sexuality and the way that they're living, just like everyone else in Corinth? Why, um, what's Paul's deal about marriage and gender roles in 1 Corinthians? What's all this stuff about divisions and unity? What's all this stuff that he's talking about, about community? What's all this stuff about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit? What Paul's doing is he's reminding them that they are supposed to be living their lives as followers of Jesus through resurrected life he's reminding them in and through Jesus they're supposed to be living the life of the kingdom the life of peace the life of shalom he's reminding them that the gospel is God's story to call together a people who would reflect to the entire world how incredible God's love is not just carry on living like everybody else and carry on doing life like everybody else we're called to be different And so now, if you're a follower of Jesus, in Paul's language, he's saying, you're the church, right? So you are now the church. You are now the people of God, the people of Jesus, his body, his bride, the church, called to be the model. We're set apart to be the demonstration. We are empowered and equipped to be a light to the nations, so that the whole world will know that there is a God who loves them. And yes, there's a God who sees their sin, but there's a God who in his goodness and his mercy and his grace and because of his great love through Jesus has made a way for us. And now that blessing that he gave to Adam and Eve, the blessing that he gave to Abraham, becomes a blessing that comes to us in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so you and I together, as God's chosen people, we find ourselves at the beginning of this final act. In a sense, we're the beginning of this new creation. God recreates relationship uh, with you and me, and as he does that, he creates relationship with us As a body, um, to reflect his love to the world, to invite people in, we are to become a a taste, a foretaste of what's to come. And so God is going to make all things new. The heavens will be renewed. The earth will be renewed. We get to be part of that now. Now. And so, instead of taking one another to court, instead of treating our sexuality as this individual, be, individual right to be expressed however I like, whenever I, I like, instead of all the other crazy things that were going on in the church um, in Corinth, all the things that they were getting up to, instead of all the things that the church in London in the 21st century is getting up to, we are called to embody the kingdom of God. Uh, it puts it well in Peter, our chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Which leads us to the last point. The gospel is for everywhere. Have a look at verses um, 8 and 9, or 9 onwards. Um, God is good and gracious and kind. And what what Paul's saying here is like, God is so good and gracious and kind that he's even taken people like me he takes people like us who are seriously messed up. Paul was persecuting the church. And he transforms us in his grace and his mercy. He he gives us his spirit. He removes our sin. And he gives us this whole new life, a whole new chapter in our story. And he says, Come and follow me, and I will make you. And then it's like fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. What do we need to do is we need to see ourselves in light of who God is and in light of the gospel because when we come to faith in Christ Jesus, we're we're joining in with this story that has been going since the beginning of time and we are now part of this massive movement of God on the earth where he is changing and transforming and renewing the world one person at a time and so You are no longer um, just a student or an artist or a lawyer or a doctor or a parent or a spouse or divorced or whatever it is that you might call yourself. You are a daughter or a son of the living God. And he is changing the world through you in and through the gospel of the kingdom. Everywhere you go. Is to be transformed you see when we see ourselves differently when we see the everythingness of the gospel um, has the gospel changed the way we think about things like our sexuality has the gospel changed the way we think about our money or the way we do relationships or the way we understand mission or the way we do our jobs or the way we carry out our vocation because it should the gospel touches everything, everywhere, everyone. That's how it's designed. You know, if we're followers of Jesus, the question we need to be asking is, ourselves is, is the gospel shaping us and changing us today? Not just once, you know, that moment when we came to faith, but is the gospel Changing me, impacting me, transforming me day by day, minute by minute, week by week. Because the gospel is for everyone and that includes us in the church. We can forget that so easily. But we, as Paul says, need to be reminded of the good news of the gospel. The gospel is everything. It's not just four steps to coming to faith. It's a narrative of God's story, his love story with humanity and humankind since the beginning of time. And um, the gospel is everywhere, and we are to be, um, we are to embody the good news of Jesus, and take that good news everywhere we go, wherever it is the Spirit of God leads us. And as we turn our attention towards the events of Easter, let's use this season of Lent to take some time to consider, you know, what we actually think the gospel is not what am I supposed to say when asked that question, not what's the right answer, but what do I actually think and believe the gospel is? And how in and through it is God changing me? How is God transforming me to live out his kingdom, rule, and reign on the earth? Why don't you stand?